Enjoy. A child is born with no state of mind, blind to the ways of mankind. God is smiling on you, but he's frowning too, because only God knows what you'll go through. You'll grow in the ghetto, living second rate, and your eyes will sing a song of deep hate. The places you play and where you stay looks like one great big alleyway. Woo! Word to your mother, huh? If you hadn't noticed, the guy in the background is the best part of this entire video. Uh... I tried to end it on his best possible pose. <laughs> Just letting you know. It's all about the Lord. Uh, for the uninitiated, uh, this is actually a song called The Message. And this was released in 1982 by a group called Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. All right, this was a hip-hop group that existed in the early 80s. Uh, this was one of their debut songs. And what this did is that it paved the way for a new genre, basically, of music. They took this hip-hop sound, this kind of rapping sound, and they put into it, for the first time, a lyrical social commentary. Uh, they started talking about the events of their day and uh, the culture and all these different things. And they uh, talked about real issues in their music. And because of them, that kind of style was picked up later by groups like uh, NWA, Republic Enemy, uh, the one that had Flava Flav, who now is a joke, but at the time was like super legit and still had clocks around his neck, but didn't, I don't know, is not, wasn't on something at all times. Uh, but that was... This is the beginning of that. This was the milestone uh, in the history of hip-hop. This is a big, big moment. And so Grandmaster Flash, or the headlining dude, uh, he uh, played a very important part in the formation of this group and the release of these types of songs. And he's still around. And to this day, man, you can look him up, and he's still making stuff, and he's producing. He does DJs, a vinyl-only kind of guy, which I respect. And he's just still kind of going at it. And more recently, on Facebook, he's all over the place. Um, within the past few weeks, there have been literally thousands of mentions of Grandmaster Flash on Facebook. Uh, and when I say mentions, I mean he's being tagged and stuff, right? Because you can start to type out a name, and if you start to type like Jacob Smith, it would, it, it would uh, you know, if we were friends on Facebook, it would then uh, recommend like, oh, Jacob Smith, and then you'd be like, yeah, and you push enter, and it tags me in the post. And so Grandmaster Flash has been tagged in a bunch of posts, sort of like this one, where Donald is talking to Donnie, and he says, hey, I've had a chance to wear this shirt, uh, thanks so much, it's an airborne shirt, I have to explain it's not at all me, but really you, can't wait to see what happens when I wear my new silver bar, <laughs> seriously though, many thanks for your thoughtfulness, it was really appreciated, our best to you and Alex, Grandpa and Grandmaster flash okay huh which seems like a strange right i didn't know that grandmaster flash hung out with grandpa with donald pierce a lot but apparently he's also been hanging out with harriet uh, miola who told her granddaughter ashley hey ashley you can try to save your phone and camera by putting it in rice take the batteries out first go online type wet cell phone and it will tell you how to do it good luck grandmaster flash or Sonia talks to Tammy, and she says, Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Timothy. Happy birthday to you. How old are you now? Love, Grandmaster Flash. Because time and time again, what if you hadn't picked up on it, these grandmothers, these grandmas, are trying to sign their name, and they get to the grandma, and Facebook says, Grandmaster Flash, and they're like, okay, and there it is. For all posterity, and every single time, Grandmaster Flash gets a notification like, hey, you've been tagged in this thing. 
that Paulette wrote to her grandson, Josh, man, happy birthday to my firstborn grandchild. I loved you immediately. Still do. You and Lauren should visit if you have any time. Have a great year. Love you much. Grandmaster Flash, which is my favorite because her grandson then tells her, thanks, Grandmaster Flash. I love you too. Which is so beautiful. And it's one of these, it's these types of moments, man. It's these kinds of grandmas that are writing these types of things on Facebook that really remind us of something that we all know deep down, uh, which is the fact that names are very important, right? Like this whole message is very much altered if it's actually Grandmaster Flash writing it, right? Josh would, I don't know if he really loves the real Grandmaster Flash, right? Like, I don't know if Josh would love hearing that kind of birthday wishes from the guy on the street corner saying, it's a jungle out there, I got spikes on my neck, or, you know, whatever it is. Like, this is, this is a different message depending on who it's coming from. The name changes everything, and we've seen this. Man, we go out and we see how a name, meaning someone's reputation, meaning who they are, what they've done, that name carries so much weight. It goes out before you into a room, into a group before you ever show up, and your name stays with that group even after you leave. Your name, your reputation, who you are, what you've done is huge, and it changes everything. And we've seen the effects of a good name, right? We've seen people who like us or they know of us or they knew our brother or our sister or our parents. And we've seen how a good name can carry us such a great distance. And we've also seen the effects of a bad name, right? Of a negative name. And the reality is that a lot of us, man, we maybe have a really great name in certain circles. And then we walk into another circle and our name is terrible, Or maybe we feel like we have a really good name with these people over here and these people over here and these people over here. But yet, if any of those people knew our real name, right, the name we call ourselves, or who we really think we are, who we really, what we've really done, if they knew that name, then we were afraid that they would just go running, that they wouldn't really love us anymore. We know the importance of names. So my question to you this, this evening is, man, what is your name? What's your name? Is it good? Bad? Something to be proud of? Ashamed? See, this whole semester, we're walking through the Song of Songs. And we're walking through this book in an attempt to understand how the melody of our relationships can present the message of God's gospel. We talked about that last week. How the melody of a relationship can present the message of the Lord's gospel. We're trying to understand not just how to have great relationships as Christians. As Christians, we are trying to understand how do we have godly relationships that sing his beautiful song over the broken noise of our world. Because every song has a melody and a message. How does the melody of our relationship present the message of God's gospel? How do we do that? What does that look like? So last week, we started at the very beginning of the book. We looked at the very introduction. Remember, we asked ourselves, man, who wrote this? What did they write? Why did they write it? And this, morning, this evening, what we're looking at is the very beginning of the rest of the book. It's no longer the introduction. Instead, we're at chapter 1. And we're looking at this idea. We're looking at a a couple in the midst of their very first initial attraction to one another. And in the midst of that song of attraction, what we find is they are focused on one core concept, 
which is the other person's name. Their names. That's why we see chapter 1, verse 2. The woman is speaking, and she says, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Oh, man, right? Like, whoa, like, that should, that should stop us, right? Like, you should be, wait, whoa, 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 what, what, right? Mouth kisses, come on. Maybe start with, like, Eskimo or, like, butterfly or something, right? Like, well, straight into mouth kisses, okay, right? And we, we see this, and we're like, okay, this is, this is pretty intense. And this is supposed to be startling, right? This is supposed to kind of set us back. I believe that this is put here. This is the opening line of the book. Why? Because it's supposed to make us kind of stop and be like, whoa, 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 whoa. What's going on? Right? We're stepping into the middle of a very interesting conversation. Like when you get on the bus and you sit next to the guy on the phone and he's like, yeah, I mean, I told him I did not think my shoe could hold that much mustard, but <laughs> what do you know? Yeah, and you're like, wait, what? Like, oh, I was going to listen to my music or whatever. Right? Like you're in the middle of a very interesting conversation. So when we see this statement, we should stop and ask ourselves, okay, wait, what, what's going on? Like, why? Like, why? <laughs> Why do you want him to kiss you with his mouth kisses? Like, that's, that's like the ultimate in kisses. Other than forehead, I don't know, some other kiss, right? His mouth kisses, what's going on? And it's because she keeps going. She says, well, because your love, your, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. She's describing her attraction to this guy. She says, your love, it's better than wine. She's not just saying like, oh, you're... Your attentions, your affections, it's, it's better than Keystone. And you're like, oh, okay, right? That's, that's not what she's getting at. Like, there's something deeper. There's an idea here where she's saying your love, it's, it's better than wine. What does wine do? What is wine? It's an alcoholic beverage made from grapes. And what does it do? It, it gets in your senses. I mean, you smell it. You taste it. It can make you lightheaded. It can make you excited. It can make you feel warm can mess with your brain, right? That, that's what she's talking about. She says, your love, it's not just like wine, man. It's better. It's better than wine. She says, your oils, your anointing oils, they're fragrant. She's not just saying like, oh, you smell like Axe body spray, right? Just like the junior high locker room I grew up in, right? <laughs> that's not it. She's saying, no, you're anointing oils. Back then, the men and women, they would wear these oils. They would anoint themselves with oil because they didn't bathe that much, right? So you weren't naturally smelling too good. So you'd put oil on yourself. And man, that's a powerful thing. You would have this scent, this, this oil that would go before you. People could smell you approaching. They'd smell you after you left because it was this powerful, uh, special, sensual experience. She's talking about this guy on all these different levels, right? She's using all these different senses, smell, you look, the taste. She says, oh my gosh, what's, you're amazing, right? I'm so drawn to you. I'm so attracted to you. And we should still be asking ourselves, why, right? Why? What must I do? Is what the guy should be asking. What must I do to anoint myself with oil? Well, I'll tell you, it's not Axe Body Spray. It's the fact that his name, his name is oil poured out. She says, your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will exult and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. Rightly do they love you. 
What is she focusing on? She says, your name. Your name. Oh, it's powerful. And she's not just saying, I think your name is awesome. She says, no, I see the majesty, the amazingness, the attractiveness of your name. You know what everyone else does too? The virgins, the otherwise could be translated young women. They love you. Why? Because of his name. Because of his name, therefore, all the ladies love this guy. Everyone around him is affirming. Everyone around her is affirming this attraction that she has for him. She's not just deluded. She's not like, oh, your name. And someone else is like, um, I don't know. Like she's, everyone's on the same page. They're like, oh my gosh, yeah, like absolutely. Because the reality is, man, your, your name, your reputation, whether you're a guy or a girl, man, that name, it can spread fast, right? And that, that other group, that other gender, man, they're gonna spread your name. Those things you do, who you are, that's gonna spread very, very quickly amongst friends or even not friends. You just, word travels. Uh, when I was in high school, about to graduate senior year, uh, we had some of those uh, superlative things where like they vote, you know, like, oh, most likely to go to prison or, you know, whatever. I don't know. That would would be a bad one, but something like that. And one of them that we voted, that they created for my senior graduating year that they never used again was most likely to break your heart. And so we as a class nominated and voted on people who would be most likely to break your heart. And it was really dramatic. Like the girl that got it, like, was very upset about it, not happy. The guy that got a buddy of mine, he was like, yeah, well. It's <laughs> what I do, right? Like, that's just kind of, he just owned it. And to his credit, man, this guy, he, he knew it. And, and the reality is that by the time we were graduating, Mr. Most Likely to Break Your Heart, we were graduating seniors. He was dating like a, a freshman or something at that point because, because his reputation preceded him. Because as we were moving through high school and those grades together, I mean, he was slowly dating more and more girls. That word kind of got around. And so he was slowly alienated from different groups. He couldn't date anyone in our grade. He couldn't date anyone in the grade below us. He had to keep going down the ladder until he could find someone who would just give into his advances. He had to keep searching because why? Because his reputation, I mean, it was powerful. It spread quickly. She says, everyone has heard your name. Everyone loves you. Rightly do they love you. Everyone sees your attributes. Everyone sees your actions. That's what's attractive. She's not describing his appearance in any of this. What is she describing? His name, meaning his attributes, his actions, who he is, what he does. And she's attracted to those things because that's what she's looking for because that's where she's focusing her attention right now is she still you know is she attracted to him sexually physically absolutely that's why she says things like let's let's run let's run the bedchamber run like we need to go now she's basically saying i want to have sex with you like that is what's going on in this moment she's expressing this incredible desire for him physically but what is it grounded in it's not just grounded in his physical appearance When Ben Stewart spoke on this wonderfully two years ago, you should listen to the podcast, spring 2020 or 2012. (laughs) Yeah, maybe it will again in 2020. I don't know. (laughs) Spring 2012, Breakaway Podcast on Song of Songs. What we see in there, what he describes it as, is he says, look, he says, you can find someone that you want to have sex with. You know what? You can have sex. That's what you're looking for. You can find it. And you can have sex with that person. 
says, but the bigger question is, well, then can you sit across a table and talk to them? Can you sit and talk to him or her? Because you're going to be doing a whole lot more of that than you will of the former. Saying there's something bigger. Her attraction is grounded not only in his physical appearance and the sexuality, it's grounded in his name. His name. And because that's where she's focusing her attention, that's where she finds attraction. Man, we can do this. We can all do this. Where we focus our attention affects where we find our attraction, which is a little counter, right? Like we kind of want to push back against that. Because what we've always kind of heard, what's kind of been ingrained into us by our culture is that, no, 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 attraction is like this involuntary reflex, right? Like if you're sitting on the table and someone hits your knee and you're like, whoa, like that's, that's how attraction works. We assume that, you know, you just, you walk down the street and you see someone, you're like, hey, whoa, like, hey, I'm attracted to you. Like, I can't control it. It's this involuntary reflex. But the reality is that that's not what we see in scripture. That's not what we see in the Song of Songs. What we see is someone guiding their attraction, directing their attraction. Is there some still an unexpected element? Sure, absolutely. But that attraction pops up where they're focusing their attention, where you focus your attention, changes where you find attraction. We see this in all aspects of life, not just romantic relationships. When my wife and I were uh, starting to look for a home this past spring, uh, we started watching HGTV, because that's how you get started. And we were watching House Hunters, and we were trying to understand, okay, like, what are we looking for, right? Like, what do we want in this home? And so we kind of decided in our minds, like, okay, there's certain things that are, you know, we really, really want, like, oh, granite countertops, like, oh, sweet, sweet granite countertops. Like, that's what we need, right? And we looked around, and we started finding houses. Oh, they had granite countertops. Oh, this is great. Another thing that we looked for was, like, landscaping, the trees in the yard. We're like, oh, yes, the flowers in this one are beautiful. And we were looked like, are there any shady squirrels? Like, oh, no, okay, good, right? Like, I don't know, squirrels throwing dice or sharpening knives like, in the backyard. Like, we were like, no, like, there are none. So that's okay. So we want this house. And we were attracted to these different homes. And we were going through this process eventually with a, a realtor, a family friend, uh, someone who spoke a lot of wisdom into our lives, especially in that moment where we were looking at this home. We we're like, yeah, I think this is pretty great. Like I saw like one squirrel and he seemed really nice. Right? Like, I, I think this is going to be, this is going to work out. And she kind of pulled us aside and said, hey, uh, here's the thing. Come into the backyard with me. We went outside and we're looking, oh, but the flowers and the, the tree and the tire swing we could hang would be so. And she points us at the house, at the bricks, just like the most boring thing to look at possible. And she shows us, though, on the bricks, on the back of the house, there's this crack running up the side. And she said, you see that crack? She says, that is the product of a foundation problem. There's been some shifting. She says, you, look, you can follow the crack all the way down to the foundation, to the slab. And you could see it where the slab was like, like kind of going crazy. And we were like, oh. She says, yeah, you don't want this house. Like that is a very big issue. The things that you're looking at, the, the countertops, the landscaping, she says, those things are relatively very easy to change, very easy to replace. Much lower cost than you've got to replace, you know, fix your foundation. And suddenly when we started looking at homes, I mean, we changed our attention. We changed what we were looking for. And some of the homes that we already really liked, man, we just threw those things out. 
She's like, oh my gosh, you're right. I, I shouldn't be standing at a 45 degree angle in the kitchen. Like that, that's not good, right? And we started to realize that there were different things that we needed to pay attention to. And that changed what was attractive. That changed the houses that we loved, right? We started looking for those houses with clear foundations. Still looked out for shady squirrels, right? You all, that was a big one. But we looked for those types of issues. We knew what to look for. Our attention, where we focused our attention, changed where we found our attraction. And that's what the woman is doing. She's focusing her attention on what? On his name. On his name. So where does she find attraction? His name. Who he is. What he's done. That's what draws her to him. But she still talks a little bit about appearance. But interestingly, she talks about her own. In verse 5, she says, I am very dark, but lovely. She says, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. She begins to explain, kind of talking about her own appearance. Right? She started off expressing her attraction for this man and then explaining her attraction for this man. But now she's kind of talking about her own personal appearance. And she's embracing it. Right? Some scholars are like, nah, she's being super negative. She's not being that negative. She's just saying, look, I, I'm very dark, but I am lovely. And she's not talking about the actual pigment of her skin. Uh, she's talking about her being tan, meaning it's, it's an unnatural look for her, for her uh, normal pigment. Right? Some Bibles, they translate this as a swarthy, but I thought that sounded kind of pirate-ish. And so we went with dark, right? But she says, look, I'm dark, but I'm lovely. And she compares herself to these beautiful constructions, these beautiful fabrics in the tents of Kedar, the curtains of Solomon, the king. She says, that's, that's what I'm like. Because she's fighting against her culture view of sexuality, of sexual uh, attractiveness, which at that time said, tan, bad. Like tan, not good. You don't want to be tan. Which to us is a little strange because we've grown up seeing things like this. Now, if you're a little confused, uh, this is a scene, a famous scene from a movie I grew up on. You probably didn't grow up on it. Uh, it's called She's All That. And what we just saw happen before the super long, like 10 second, just awkward, like silence of, are you okay? Yeah. Okay, which I feel like is the best demonstration of a first date ever. Uh, what we just saw was Rachel Lee Cook, okay, the girl, she's basically, this whole movie before this, she's been just, oh, like, oh, like, so unattractive, right? Because Rachel Lee Cook, she's been wearing, the whole movie, she's been, like, she's had her hair up in a ponytail, and she's been wearing glasses, and she wears, like, overalls, because she's an artist, and everyone's like, oh, what in the world? And Freddie Prince Jr., right, who, because everyone had three names in the mid-90s, look it up, but Freddie Prince Jr., <laughs> Freddie Prince Jr. Uh, was like, no, like, I'm going to take you out anyway, because he had this bet, and anyway, it's weird. But he gets to this moment, and she's walking, and that's the first time we've seen her, like, Without a ponytail, no glasses, wearing a dress. We're like, oh my gosh, like she's beautiful. Why? Because she suddenly fits into this weird little mold that we've created. And the reality is that, man, we as a culture, we always set up our sexual attractiveness. We always determine that as a culture. And it's always in flux. It's always changing. You look just in America, like a hundred years ago, it was completely different. 
what people were drawn to. You look back in the Bible times, you look back in the time of Song of Songs. And basically what's happening is she's saying, look, tan, it's not in. People don't like it. Why? Why? Because generally whatever we find really sexually attractive is whatever is exotic, whatever different. And so in her day, everyone was tan and lean. And so it was attractive. You, you find this in their artwork. You find this in their writings. What was attractive was being pale and soft, right? Kind of squishy, right? That's, that's what was awesome. And people were like, yeah, all right, she got it together, right? Pale like a bottom of a bunny, right? Like that's, that's what they were drawn to. That was what was sexually attractive in that time, which is strange, right? Because today it's like the opposite. Why? Because the reality is that now we are drawn to tan and lean. Why? Because we are normally, right, as the whole, for the most part, we're pale and kind of squishy, right? Like that's just, that's just what we've become. And so because of that, man, we are drawn to something different. And this girl, she says, no, no, like I, I'm different. I, I know that I, I'm not what the ideal is. I'm not the exotic. She says, but, but I'm still lovely. Why? How can she say that? Because the son has looked upon me. Because my mother's sons, my brothers, they were angry with me or, or stern with me, and they made me keeper of the vineyards. But my own vineyard I have not kept. She explains the reason I am tan, the reason I am lean, is because I've been faithful to my family, because I've been working hard, because they've been asking me to work in the literal vineyard. And because of that, I haven't been able to take care of my own figurative vineyard, meaning my body, my appearance. She says, I'm tan, I'm lean, I'm dark. Why? Because I know there's something bigger. <laughs> I know there's something more important. She's confident in her appearance, not because she thinks she's perfect. She's confident in her appearance because she knows that she has a purpose that there's something bigger to who she is, to what she does. This is where confidence and body image should come from. But that's not where we see it presented in our culture. Our culture is on the right path where we're saying, look, like there are different body types and different kinds of people, guys and girls, and you know what? You should just own whatever you got. And that's beautiful, and you're amazing. And th- man, that's on the right path. But I'm telling you, we are not quite there as a culture we're still so misguided, which leads us to songs like All About That Bass that we saw the video of last week, right? This is the number one song, number one song on iTunes right now. Most downloaded song. And all these people are downloading, they're talking about, it, they're like, oh my gosh, I love that song, it's so great. Why? Because it, oh, it presents such a great image of the body image, right? Megan Trainer, she is, she just, she's speaking, she's the songbird of our generation, right? She's telling everyone the way it should be. And what is she saying in the song? Okay, what is she saying? She says stuff like, yeah, it's pretty clear. I ain't no size two, but I can shake it, shake it like I'm supposed to do. Because I got that boom, boom, that all the boys chase, all the right junk in all the right places. You see, I see the magazine work in that Photoshop. We know that stuff ain't real. (laughs) Come on now, make it stop. If you got beauty building, just raise them up because every inch of you is perfect from the bottom to the top. Yeah, my mama, she told me, don't worry about your size. She says, (laughs) supposedly her mama says, Boys like a little more booty to hold at night. 
you know, I won't be no stick figure silicone Barbie doll. So if that's what you're into, you go ahead and move along, right? She's coming at us and she's bringing this image. And what is she saying really? What is she presenting to her audience? What is she presenting to our culture? She's saying, look, the reality is that there's this image out there that people think is perfect. And you know what? I reject that idea. She says, you know what? You can be whatever. You don't have to be a size two because you know what? No matter what you are, no matter what you look like, every interview is perfect from the bottom to the top. Every interview is perfect. Why? What's her reasoning for that? How does she defend that statement? Because boys like a little more booty to hold at night. That is the linchpin of her argument. That boys, come on. This is what she's saying. And we're approaching this. And as a culture, again, it's on the right direction. But my gosh, as a culture, we've grabbed a hold of this. And we're like, oh, huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You tell him. You tell him, Megan. Your mama was right. <laughs> but what is she really doing? What is she really saying? She's saying, I don't like this image. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to give you a different image to focus on. She's just adding more fuel to the current fire. She's replacing one broken perspective with another broken perspective. She doesn't say, hey, you don't need to worry about those things because there's more to who you are and what you do than the way that you look. What does she say? She says, you're perfect. Man, how quickly does that fall apart? How long does it take for you to realize that you're not perfect? Hopefully not very long. People try to tell you, man, you're amazing, you're perfect. Man, we do this in Christian culture, in Christian circles. We tell guys, or we tell girls, girls especially, we tell them, you're this beautiful image of the Lord and you are a rose and this God and you're perfect. And if there's any guy out there that doesn't treat you like you're the most perfect, most amazing God-given gift to this world, then that guy's not even worth your time because you're perfect and don't you settle for anything less. And man, that is, that is misguided. That is a lie. It's not true. How do I know that? Because my scripture tells me that we're all sinners, that we're all broken, that we all have sin, that we are all under the oppression of sin and of death and of brokenness. None of us are perfect, not even one. That's what God has told us in his scripture. So why do we buy into these lies? Because we want so badly for that to be true. Man, we want, we want to believe that we're perfect on some level. But the reality is we're not. Now, am I saying that there shouldn't be confidence in our appearance? Absolutely not. There should be a great confidence. But that confidence is not grounded in the fact that you're perfect. That confidence is grounded in the fact that you were designed with a purpose. Not that you were designed perfect, but that you were designed with a purpose. That there's more to who you are and what you do than there is to what you look like. That your attributes and your actions are so much greater, so much more important, honestly, should be so much more attractive than your appearance. That's what we see in the Song of Songs. And that's why as soon as that girl, as soon as the woman starts to talk about her appearance, says, you know, there's, there's these things kind of going on. I'm dark and I don't know. We see the guy go straight against it, right? First we take, though, it's a little strange, we take a flirt break, okay? Uh, basically what happens is that they're talking to each other, and she's talking to the guy, she says, hey, tell me, you who my soul loves, where are you pasture your flock? 
Where are you making lie down at noon? For why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? And he says, well, if you do not know, O most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock and pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tent. Right? This is flirting, I promise, right? We're going to get into this over the next couple weeks, right? The next two weeks, uh, we're going to be talking about the song of pursuit. How do they move towards each other? How do they act towards each other? How do they move, kind of pursue one another? Next two weeks, we're talking about that. So we'll get into this kind of stuff. For now, just take my word for it. They're, they're kind of giving a little bit of like a, hey, where are you going to be? I don't know. Watch, watch the goats. Like, you know, it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> All right, right? So that's, that's kind of what's going on. But then the very first address the man has to the woman, okay? And we talked about this a little bit last week, but this could be either a continuation of the same song. This could be a new song. This could be the same couple. This could just be a very a similar song with uh, the previous one, okay? Whatever... Whichever one you go with, whether it's a collection of poetry, of songs, or whether it's one clear narrative, the first time we see the man directly address the woman, whoever it is, he says this. He says, I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Oh, be still, my beating heart, right? What is he saying? What is going on? Because at first glance, this doesn't seem to be like the most uh, flattering of descriptions, right? Girl, you are like a girl horse, (laughs) surrounded by boy horses, right? That doesn't make a lot of sense. And after this, he does go into her appearance. He says, your cheeks are lovely. Your neck is lovely. He, He begins to build up her appearance. He's very positive in that way. But that doesn't seem to be what he's getting at right here. This hopefully is not an appearance-related description. So what is he describing? What's he talking about? I'll tell you, I think the best interpretation of this is that he's drawing from historical examples. He's actually drawing from his current-day uh, military this was an actual military strategy that existed around this time where basically you were lined up to attack, right? And some of the enemy cavalry, they show up and they're all like, oh, and they start charging down the hill towards you. Oh. And what you would do if you're defending against that attack is oftentimes you would bring out a mare. You'd bring out a female horse who was preferably in heat, meaning she's at the height of her sexualness, okay? And you would then release her in the midst of the enemy cavalry. And as soon as that female horse starts running around those ranks, all the other dude, all the chariot horses are like, wait, 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 what was that? What's going on? Hey, what is, and they would get too distracted and they wouldn't charge down the hill. This was an actual strategy where the guys were like, no, 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 whatever. Then they die or something. I don't know. But this was an actual strategy where you would take a female mare, you would take a female horse and you would release her amongst these guy horses. And they'd all be like, whoa, 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 whoa. what's going on? What's going on? Right? And this is what the guy is saying. He's saying, look, you, he's echoing basically the exact same thing she said at the beginning of the passage. She says, oh, your love, it's amazing. What? All the women love you. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you are so incredible. Who you are, what you do, it drives all the guys crazy. He says, who you are, what you do, it's, it's attractive. Not just to me, but to every man around you. Rightly do they love you because of who you are because of what you do, because of your name, your attributes, your actions. Those things are attractive. And it's not just me that sees it. It's all my buddies. We get it. So I'm encouraging you tonight 
that as you are scanning the crowds for potential candidates right, to be wed, right, as you're looking, what are you focusing your attention on? What are you looking for? Are you focusing your attention entirely on appearances? Or are you focusing your attention on attributes, on actions, on the name? What are you looking for? Let me encourage you tonight, as you're looking, do so in a group setting. That's what we see in Song of Songs repeatedly. It's this group setting. Look at how that person interacts with their friends. Look at how that person interacts with their family. Look at how that person interacts in a group. How do they treat the people around them? What are their attributes and actions when they're not just directly interacting with you and trying to impress you? Ask your friends, man, what do they think? What do they know about that guy, about that girl? What do they think about this attraction that you feel towards this person? Are they affirming it? Or are they just like, well, I don't know. Like, don't operate in isolation. So many times we get caught up and we're like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. We're just the best. And I'm telling you, every single time you get caught up in that just consuming relationship that pulls you out of healthy community, every single time that happens, you are headed for pain. You are headed for hurt. You're headed for mistakes. I've been there, done that. I promise you, you need to maintain community. You need to be able to run to those young women. You need to be able to run to those other men, those chariot horse guys. And you ask them, what do they think? What do they know? What do they sense? What do they notice? And as we do those things, as we don't operate in isolation, as we operate in community, as we look for those attributes, as we focus our attentions on the name, as we do those things, I promise you, in that way of movement, in that song of attraction, we will bring glory to the Lord. We will bring just praises. We will be singing his song. The world around us will take notice of the way that we are attracted to one another. Why? Because as believers, the name that we are drawn to is not created by that person. The name that we are ultimately drawn to is created by the Lord and given to that person. We have a God who has the most amazing attributes, the most amazing actions. He's revealed many of them to us through names that he's called himself, that he's given his people to call him. He says, you can call me things like Adonai, meaning I'm the Lord and master. You can call me El Shaddai, meaning I'm the Lord almighty over all things. You can call me Jehovah Jireh, meaning that I provide. I'm not just talking about who I am. I'm talking about what I do. You can call me Abba, meaning father. Because if you are a Christian, you have been adopted into his family. You were a child of wrath who's become a child of the Lord Most High. Because anyone who calls on the name of Jesus Christ might be saved. Because our God didn't just reveal himself through names, through his attributes. He revealed himself through action by sending Jesus Christ to take the form of man, to live that perfect life, to have all of those attributes to have all of those actions that we couldn't do. And even though his appearance was so unimpressive, his appearance was nothing. Born in a manger, lived as a carpenter. He came out of Bethlehem. People literally, when they heard that, they said, what good comes out of Bethlehem? 
This guy was a nobody in appearance, but yet his actions, his attributes, they attracted a following so powerful that those men and women were telling his story until they were killed for telling his story, for telling people about the fact that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and then died on the behalf of all of us who were broken, all of us who were sinful that we might call upon his name, that we might put our trust in him, that if we put our trust in him as, as our Lord, as our Savior, if we do that, we are united with him, not only in his death and burial, but we are united him, with him in his resurrection. Meaning one day we know that he will come back and whether we're in the grave or whether we're still walking around, he's gonna call us home. He's gonna pull us out of this brokenness. He's gonna provide a new heaven, a new earth, a new creation. And as we wait for that day, that glorious day, we get a chance to reflect some of his attributes. What am I attracted to in a person's name? What are the attributes that I am attracted to as a believer? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Where do those attributes come from? They are the fruit of the Spirit of God's Holy Spirit who resides in every believer. He provides the attributes that I am supposed to be focusing my attention upon. It's not up to you to be the most attractive person possible. If you're a believer, God gives you those attributes. God gives you the actions that are attractive. I'm supposed to be drawn to someone who loves God, someone who loves their neighbor. Why? Because Jesus Christ says that's what he expects of all his disciples, that people will look in at the Christian community and know us by the fact that we love one another. That's what's attractive. And when I'm focusing my attention on that, when I'm finding my attraction in that name, I help others find my God. That's how this song of attraction is singing God's song. That's how the melody of our relationship can present the message of the gospel because we're attracted to the name that is provided by God himself. We're going to sing a few more songs. And let me just encourage you as we do so, we're going to have some people in the back of the room that are going to be praying for you. They're going to be praying for the attractions that you've had, maybe the attractions you're currently in the midst of. They're going to be praying that those attractions would be grounded in something that God has put forth. We're going to be praying for you that those attractions would lead somewhere good. But if you have any particular requests, maybe if, if you've never placed your faith in Christ and you want to know how that works, or maybe you've never really prayed to God, you want to know how to do that. If maybe there's something going on in your life this week that you really need prayer for, please, please use this time to go back and talk to one of the dudes or girls that are staying there with lanyards. Talk to them. Let them know how they can pray for you specifically. Because we want to. We want to serve you. Please let us. So let's begin in prayer. God, we, we thank you for what you've done. God, for who you are. Lord, we thank you that you have provided the most important name of all. The name that we can go by. The name that is that we are your son. God, we are your daughter. God, let us, let us rest in that name. If you would, take a moment. Ask the Lord to just reveal to you where, 
where have your attractions strayed? Where have you found yourself drawn to something that's not quite right? Or maybe where has your name strayed? Where have you presented yourself that is not a good place? Where, what have you built in your attributes or in your actions that does not reflect the God who saved you? Ask the Lord to convict you of that right now. If you would, take a moment. Ask the Lord to show you the path to repentance, meaning how can you turn completely around and run in the opposite direction of whatever you were just convicted of? Ask the Lord to show you, man, where, what's that conversation that needs to happen where you ask someone for forgiveness? Ask, some, ask the Lord to show you who's the friend you need to talk to who can keep you accountable, can check up on you in that area where you often stumble. Ask God to show you the path, the, the way to building a name that is grounded in Him, to directing your attention, to direct your attraction to something that is grounded in Him. Ask Him to show that to you right now.